Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 24. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. David's thinking, one stroke of this sword and I will have my life back. Sometimes when you have a promise from God, it's easy to justify sin or what you're doing in pursuit of that promise. In the kingdom, the end never justifies the means. God will fulfill his promise without your help. God will fulfill his promise his way and he'll do it righteously. David is standing there with the sword in his hand. The guys are talking. Verse 7, look at it. David, notice verse 7 tells us that David restrained his servants. In other words, they are going in. David, kill him, man. Stick him. It'll be done with. You'll stop running. We can all go home. We are stressed out and discontent and in debt, and we can change that. Stick him. David had to stop them from repeatedly talking to him. See, these men are excited because they're about to go from distress, discontent, and in debt to friends of the new king of Israel. Now put yourself in David's sandals. Maybe David's thinking one stroke with the sword stands between me and the throne. One stroke with the sword stands between me and seeing a nation spiritual revival. One stroke with the sword will remove the apostate rebel from office. One stroke with the sword will even the score. And maybe David is thinking, as he's quietly inching up on Saul, one stroke. David got right up to Saul. Did y'all get this? He didn't put the sword in his neck. He didn't put the sword in his back. The Bible tells us he cut the corner of his robe. Now, why did he do that? He did it because he knew the word of God. He knew Saul was God's king. He knew thou shalt not kill. He knew don't touch God's anointed. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but don't touch God's anointed. Verse four, David cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And I'm sure that David's men were thinking we weren't thinking about that. You just cut the robe. That's it. But listen, this is how you defeat your enemy. When your enemy is at their weakest and most vulnerable moment and they're helpless and unaware and you have the opportunity to take revenge and make them pay, that's when you show them mercy. That's when you show them forgiveness. Is that the best clapping y'all can do right there? That's when you show mercy. That's when you show them forgiveness. And that's when you defeated your enemy. That's what Jesus said. Luke 6, 27, 31 through 31. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who 
What's saints? Hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you to him who strikes you on one cheek or for the other. Now, I, I haven't gotten to this point in sanctification yet, but I'm, 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 I'm working on that. I'm still working. on. I'm still not quite there yet. And from him who takes away your coat, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. Now, the question many people ask is, how could David get so close to cut the robe undetected? Well, listen, David didn't have to be right next to Saul to cut the robe. Saul could have taken off his robe, laid it down, which is probably what he did. He took off his robe, laid it down in another part of the cave, and then David could have cut the robe. Think about this. Saul's army has 3,000 men. That's 3,000 men making noise. Because Saul's army was big. That's a lot of noise. That's a lot of commotion. So it's not really unthinkable that David got up close enough, cut the robe, and then went and hid back in the cave. David knows the word of God, as I said, and David is thinking, how can I be God's king and not be submitted to God's word? God will never use a rebellious man. One brother said it like this, and I love this. He said, God will never use a rebellious man to reach a rebellious world. God will never use a man who is not submitted to his word to reach a world that is not submitted to his word. I love that. This is a critical moment for David because David had the choice to obey God's word or listen to man, to be a man among men following the voice of man or be a man of God following the voice of God. Look at verse five. After David cut the robe, his heart was cut. Y'all looking at verse five. His heart was convicted. David felt guilty. Why? Because Saul is God's king and David knows nobody touches the king. Nobody has a right to disgrace the king, much less kill him. So David shows mercy to Saul, not just for Saul's sake, but for God's sake. And the question, who won this battle? David. David won, not through murder, but through mercy. Not through murder, but through mercy. Now question, would Saul show mercy to David? We all know. No. But that's the difference between a man after God's own heart and a man with a hard heart. That's the difference. Now, in verses 8 through 16, just peruse with me. After Saul finished doing his business, David came out of the cave and called out to Saul. And again, we point out the humility, my lord, the king. Saul looked behind him. David bowed to the earth. David bows not in worship, but in humility. David wants Saul to see that he respects authority. David stepping out into the open is taking his life into his hands. David said in verse 9, Saul, look at verse 9. Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say I'm trying to harm you? Verse 10, David said, I will not stretch out my hand to harm the Lord's anointed. Now, let me just touch on this really quickly, because how many times have we heard people say, have you heard, touch not, y'all know where I'm going, Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Okay. And people say that. If you haven't heard, well, then I'll tell you. People will say that when someone's doing something weird, a preacher, a leader is doing something weird, and they don't want you to hold them accountable. 
So they say the Bible says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. So the preacher or the leader who's doing the weird thing is the anointed of God. And you're not to question their behavior. That's exactly how the verse is used out of context. Completely out of context. That certainly is not what that verse means. Touch not my anointed is actually found in First Chronicles 16.22. And God's anointed are God's chosen vessels under the old covenant. Now understand this. The anointed under the old covenant were priests, kings, high priests, major prophets, and minor prophets. Priest, high priest, kings, major prophets, and minor prophets were considered God's anointed under the old covenant. Israel was a theocracy. You know that. A theocracy is what? A nation ruled by God. Now, we're under the new covenant, and under, listen, stay with me, under the new covenant, Every single one of us are God's anointed. We're all kings and priests unto God, the Bible says. We're all the anointed of God. Everyone who believes in the finished work of Jesus Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and we're all kings and priests unto God. So when God says, touch not my anointed, he was talking about those categories of people under the old covenant. Fast forward to the new covenant. We are all God's anointed. They'll even tell you that you're not to touch God's anointed, even if they're teaching something that's heretical. You don't challenge them in any way. Listen, you challenge everyone who is teaching something heretical. You ch- yes, you do. You got, well, show me that in the scripture. I don't care who they are. Bishop. Amen. <laughs> Apostle. Prophet. Pastor. Teacher. Christian. Janitor. I don't care. Orderly at the hospital. I don't care who you are. If you're teaching something that the scriptures do not, we absolutely are to challenge that. We are all God's anointed. Look at verse 10. We got to move forward. David said, God, David, David says, Saul, in verse 10, God has delivered you into my hand in the cave, and my men were encouraging me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11, David said, look, I have a piece of your robe in my hand, and because I have your robe in my hand and not your head in my hand, that is proof to you that I'm not trying to kill you. I love this. David said, I'm not sinned against you. I'm not trying to kill you. Look at verse 12. Let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me. In other words, David said, I'm putting it in the Lord's hands. The Living Bible gives a good sense of this verse in 1 Samuel 24, 12. It says, perhaps the Lord will kill you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. David says, I referred the matter to the Lord. I let God plead my case and be my judge. Look at verse 13. David used an ancient proverb to make a point. Wickedness proceeds from the wicked. Y'all still with me? In other words, if I am really as wicked as your advisors say I am, Saul, if I really wanted to kill you, I would have done that back in the cave. 
David's pleading his case. There is no wickedness in me because when I had the opportunity to show my heart, it wasn't wicked towards you. And when David finished speaking, look at verse 16. When David finished speaking, Saul started to cry. Now listen, there's a risk to reconciliation. This is why I titled the sermon. There is a risk to reconciliation, and David knows that. When David stepped out of that cave, y'all with me? When David stepped out of that cave, that was a risk. Huge. Because Saul could have then had his 3,000 men grab him. David steps out for reconciliation. David wasn't wrong. Saul was wrong. Now watch this. David is standing there with the hem of his robe in his hand, and Saul had to remember, listen, saints, 1 Samuel chapter 15, remember? 1 Samuel 15, 27, 28, Samuel said, Saul, God has taken the kingdom away from you. And Samuel turned away. Go read it, 1 Samuel 15. Samuel turned away and Saul grabbed him and ripped off a piece of his garment. And Saul was standing there holding a piece of torn cloth. And Samuel said, Saul, the way that you ripped the piece of cloth from my garment is the same way the kingdom of God will be ripped away from you today. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Well, in verse 20, look at verse 20. David said, I'm not trying to kill you. Saul said, David, I know that you shall be king. Listen, David, Saul knew that all along, but now he really knows it. He said, the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, in verse 21, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you won't destroy my name. Now, I told you when a new king comes to town, he will kill everyone from the previous dynasty to avoid any problems. Right. Saul knew one day that David and his descendants would rule over Israel. So he asked David to promise that his descendants would not be killed. Doesn't that sound like the same promise between David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 22? And then in verse 22, Saul went home, but David, note, didn't go home. Huh? David went back to the stronghold. The stronghold is like you could write a fortified location. Like a fortified location. Why? Why did David go back to the stronghold? Because I don't think that David trusted Saul. I think David knew as much as Saul probably meant it at the time, he would have a struggle not being the king. Listen, this happens all the time. When somebody claims to recognize some sin and they're caught in the moment, they cry, they weep, they repent, and that repentance only lasts for a short time. They get home and Satan starts playing with their mind. They go back to their old ways. If you're truly repentant and truly changed, it will be seen in your life. You know, the Bible talks about two repentance. The Bible talks about godly sorrow or Godly repentance and worldly sorrow or worldly repentance. Godly repentance is when you ask the Lord to forgive you, you really, really turn away from that thing. That's godly repentance. Worldly repentance is kind of like what Saul's doing right now. 
He's crying, he's weeping. I know you're going to be the king of Israel. You know, you've shown kindness to me. But David's not so confident that Saul will remain in that place. David said, that's great, it's all good, but I think I'll stay in the stronghold until I see Saul truly repentant and comes to terms with all this. You see, David wanted to reconcile. David wanted to stop all this and stop Saul from being paranoid. David wanted it over bad. He wanted it over so bad, he risked reconciliation. He wanted it over so bad, he steps out into the open, shows himself to Saul. Saul could have ordered 3,000 men to grab David at that time. I think at this point, David doesn't care. He just wants it over and possibly to reconcile with Saul. Can I tell you something? And then I'm going to let you go. You don't reconcile because a man wants you to. You don't reconcile thinking, well, I wonder how they'll respond. When you have a true heart of reconciliation, you reconcile because the Lord tells you to, number one. Number two, you reconcile and you don't, you're not concerned with how they'll receive it. Am I right about it, saints? When you ask someone to forgive you, you don't, don't let your mind get clouded with, well, I haven't asked for forgiveness because I don't think they will. That's the enemy. God didn't say, ask for forgiveness if you think they'll forgive you. Huh? God said, we ought to go to our brother and ask for forgiveness because they told you to. That's called obedience. It's called doing what God commanded us to do. I think of Matthew chapter 5 verse 24 tells us Jesus said, if you have a gift for the Lord and you realize that there's a problem between you and your brother, then leave the gift. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift to God. When you reconcile or ask someone to forgive you, you are not to be concerned with whether that person will forgive you or not. You are not responsible for the actions of the souls in your life. You're only responsible for your reaction to their actions. David probably thought Saul's going to do the same thing again, and he asked for reconciliation anyway. Did y'all get that? Knowing Saul might do it again, and that's why David stayed in the strongholds, because he didn't trust Saul's repentance. Think about this. We do the same thing with Jesus. We do the same thing with Jesus. We get caught up in the moment, ask God to forgive us, ask God to have mercy on us. God forgives you, shows you grace, shows you mercy. And then you go back and you do it again. And newsflash, when God showed you grace and God showed you mercy, he knew that you would go back and do it again. Ooh. Newsflash, he knew that. And I find it, it's amazing how we are very quick to ask God to forgive us. But when somebody comes to ask you to forgive them, well, I'll forgive, but I ain't going to forget. I ain't talking to nobody here. Y'all holy, I got it. You forgive and forget. I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. I don't have the ability to just delete it out of my mind. I have heard it all. I have heard, and so have you. Listen, 
You forgive people, it means that you no longer hold it against them. No, it doesn't mean you forget. You're not going to forget. No, you're not going to forget. But it does mean I forgive you. I'm, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to be weird toward you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do everything in my power not to be weird toward you. When I see you, I'm going to hunt you down just to say hello so you don't think I'm being weird toward you. Because I want you to know that I really forgave you. Sometimes we got to go out of our way to show love toward each other. Somebody say amen, clap your hands, or do something. We got to we go out of our way. Sometimes you got to go out of your way to show love toward people. So you had a little whatever, and you asked each other to forgive each other. Well, then now you got to, you know, act like you forgave them. I mean, don't act like it, but act like it. You know what I mean. Yeah. Go do things that show that you really did forgive them. Because we do the same thing to God. We, we go to God and say, Lord, forgive us. God forgives us knowing that we're going to do it again, knowing that we're going to continue to struggle with that Saul sin in your life. Or there'll be times when you'll tread on his holiness, but God saved you anyway. Somebody say amen. God forgave you anyway. Say amen. I'll wait while you clap your hands. God showed mercy to you anyway. God himself risked reconciliation. You can't. You can't. God himself does. He forgives you anyway, loves you anyway, receives you anyway. Y'all need to be happy about that. Y'all need to be happy about that. You should be happy about that. We serve a God. Because you know what? Look, thank God I ain't God. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you, I, I, I love the Lord. Pray for me. Don't judge me. But you only got about three chances, and I'm going to have to burn you up. <laughs> Amen. That's awful, isn't it? It's just <laughs> But I'm a living person. I do living things. <laughs> this is awful. We do it to God. And God wants us to forgive each other and show mercy to each other. Each one of us. God wants each one of us to take the risk of reconciliation. Show mercy to people who don't deserve it. Micah 6, 8, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Micah 6, 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord has required of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before my God. God says, I only need three things from you. Three. That's it. Can you remember that? I think God always keeps it real short. He, God, God keeps a short list because he knows you ain't, you're not that quick. <laughs> Amen. Short list. Do justly love mercy. Write it down, Micah 6, 8. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly. Come on, say it with me. Do justly love mercy and walk humbly before your God. That's all God wants us to do. And maybe there's someone here tonight 
in this room right now that you need to reconcile with. Here's what we're going to do. Pastor Matt, here's what we're going to do. And that's why I wanted to read the text because I wanted to make sure I got it in because I want to take the next 10 minutes and I want you to, if there's a person in this room that you need to reconcile with, I'm going to ask you to take the risk of reconciliation and go to that person. If they're on the other side of the room, go there. You might have something in your heart that they don't even know about. And they think it's all good. You know it's not all good. What I don't want to be is that fake church. I don't want to be that church that talks about forgiveness and talks about mercy and talks about loving each other, and we don't do it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.